Now I know why there are two plates, two aluminum plates, and they are probably coated with a dielectric and not one. Because let's imagine we just extend one plate through to the other and use aluminum mesh to supposedly increase surface area if that's the only purpose of the plates but that's not the only purpose of the plates to increase surface area because there's a gap between them of relatively no surface area because it's just a single aluminum wire linking each one at their central hub let's say of a junction point of four single aluminum wires two go out to two aluminum plates and two go out to one goes to the iron coil and the other goes to the transistor on the copper side of the circuit. So why two plates? Because there is an extremely weak capacitance between them. And that's why they have to go in opposite directions. It's not merely surface area. They do. It was stipulated to me that they have to go in opposite directions. That means furthest apart possible. And I've already done these these things simulated. I found out that when you have an extremely low capacitance, the dielectric starts to function as a prism in which it no longer reflects electrical energy. It no longer stores it later for discharge alone. It still has those two functions, but in a in abeyance or you know minimized. Instead, it's now a new function looms out of the darkness of minimalization and becomes maximized, and that is the quality of, of refraction. Now, when you look up dielectric qualities of materials, it turns out that it's directly mathematically related to the refractory index of that material. Now, if it's rock, you won't think of it as having a refractive index, but it does because that would have to do with sonic waves. But if it's something that can transmit light, you know, like quartz crystal or glass, yeah, it has a, it has a uh, refractive index and it has a dielectric index and the two are related by either the square or the square root. I can't remember which direction, which function. But it's a simple mathematical relationship between the refractive index of a material in a prism, let's say, and the dielectric index of that same material. Because glass can be used as a prism, but it is also can be used as a dielectric medium to store energy. But it doesn't store it very well if you make it very thick between two conductive plates. Instead, it refracts the energy, the electrical energy, through it, which we're told is impossible, right? Because it's an insulator, but not for the longitudinal dielectric mag magnetodielectric force. Uh-uh. That shit will go right through it. Because it goes through empty space. And Tesla used bedrock to uh, transmit from his Wardenclyffe Tower, or I should say the roots of that tire, tower, not the tower itself, above ground. Uh uh. But below ground was where the magic was transmitted. 
So this is very interesting because it tells me that there is maybe not ionization going on because the distance between the two plates has been you know maximized to the point that the air molecules are refusing to ionize but that doesn't mean that we have no capacitance nor does it mean it's not very very low which means it's refractive so now we've got two plates you know when you have two two plates of a capacitor you know what happens they polarize themselves in opposition to each other can you believe it can you believe it so that this is what creates the four phase power somehow or another those plates have to be in opposition at any point in time their sign value for their charge state has to be in opposition or else we're not going to get four phase power because that was one of the intuitions I had was that the reason why I need two plates to put in the scheme and not don't take it out is to create four phase power out of this thing and another aspect of this which is very intriguing um let's see what was it um oh uh something to do oh well the copper side is going to eliminate DC transfer because there is a loop there uh, between the two tubes. One is a Leyden jar, I'm guessing he's using, and the other is the transistor. Um, You know, the double diode borax or baking soda liquid transistor um, with two copper leads serving as one is the emitter and one is the collector, and then the aluminum leads serving as the gate. So... When the energy from the from the middle, the aluminum middle and the iron uh, side uh, gets tr- uh, bounces back to the copper side, it's going to want to go around in a circle because it does have a loop, but it's going to force it to be oscillatory and screen out, filter out any DC bias, I think is the term, that might come into the circuit due to the iron um, right due to the iron uh, because it's just an iron loop which um, might impart a DC component but if there is a, a, any sizable uh, amplitude of DC contribution coming from the iron coil going back to the copper side let's say it's going to get translated because it's going to st- Well, let's see. It's not going to want to store itself between the two aluminum plates, but it will want to store itself in the Leiden jar and then get discharged and then go back the other way. So so the Leiden jar will translate any DC bias that the the copper side or uh, picks up, let's say, from the uh, iron side, it'll translate it into strictly oscillatory behavior. Whatever the waveform is, I have no idea, no clue. But um, it'll probably be pulses is what it'll be, in all likelihood. Um, in any case, whatever it is, it is, <laughs> right? You will figure it out. Somebody will measure it on their oscilloscope, right? I, I can't guess what that is. I, I don't have the faculties to guess that. But piecemeal, we're getting through this and guessing it, analyzing what hasn't even been built yet. That's what's so amazing to me. 
just one little revelation after the next. It's unbelievable. Are we going to have the rapture soon? <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm on a roll. I don't know. What do I know? Uh, is the vibrations of the earth picking up? Whatever. Um, so that completes this recording and this episodic journey into trying to resolve the mystery of this speculated circuit. You know, I have yet to show you a diagram of the thing. <laughs> uh, I've just described it to you. Um, so we only have one electrical loop. Everything else is either magnetic between the two copper spheres or it's um, a compression wave of all things uh, between the two aluminum plates that are coated with, now I have to say coated with dielectric and the iron coil and then we have a, a also a compression uh, wave between the two plates themselves the two aluminum plates so this is really fascinating. Oh my God. And then we have probably transverse electromagnetic uh, coming from the coil, if anything comes from that iron coil out of it. But, um, well, no, it would have to. It creates a magnetic field. Oh, that's another thing I forgot. The iron, the ferromagnetism of the iron coil is going to cause the magnetism to become concentrated in the copper tubing but the copper tubing is set up to oscillate yet it will intensify the current that is being exhibited by the magnetic field surrounding the iron coil so it's the, the copper is going to want to internalize that current that um, that uh, translation shall we say of the ferromagnetism surrounding the coil into current inside of itself and that's probably why it's a good idea that it's tubing. Because um, if it's sufficiently high frequency of oscillations, it's going to want to go around the perimeter of uh, any kind of wire. And this kind of encourages it because it's tubing. So it's going to go around the tubing. And it's not going to miss out. It's not, it's not going to regret not having a center solid mass of, of uh, copper to go through. Now... I have stipulated already that the tubing in the sphere is filled with a noble gas such as neon or helium. If that's the case, it certainly is advantageous for that to be the case. Um, and it probably won't arc internally, but it will reach a plasma state. If the circuit is precharged with sufficient voltage to break down the resistance of that noble gas. Now, if it's air, we got to raise the pre-charge that we give to the circuit to around 1,000 volts to get the air inside the tubing and sphere to break down. Now, that would imply arcing, but um, if it's doing what I suspect it's doing, becoming a negative resistor, using impedance to accelerate current. Um, if it arced, it would be arcing at the fringe, let shall we say, of this the mass of plasma gas. 
between the air mo- uh, excuse me between the gaseous molecules that are immediately adjacent to the inner surface of the copper sphere and the inner surface of the copper tubing. So it would be micro-arcing. Uh, I don't know how plasmas operate if there's arcing going on between the molecules of a plasma state of gas, in which case we have a lot of micro-arcing all over that mass of plasma, which is why it lights up. So that would make sense to assume that. Okay, so I'll assume it for the point of uh, argument or uh, speculation. For the point of speculation, that it's not one in gigantic arc, it's a lot of randomized micro arcs or nano, <laughs> pico, femto arcs, atomic size arcs, or a molecular di- di- diatomic. Diatomic? Maybe. Whatever. No, no, monoatomic. Monoatomic, that's right. So a lot of little micro arcs going on between the monoatomic uh, particles of the noble gas, preferentially, because that way, inside the tubing and sphere, that way, we can use a lower voltage to pre-charge this thing to get it to run. Also, though, the problem with that is that it'll operate probably at a lower voltage than if we use air. And so see, I don't even know what's filled in there. It could be air, requiring that we use a higher voltage to break down the air to get it to run at all, but also giving the advantage that it runs at a higher, shall we say, RP, the equivalent of what an RPM would be. Because the iron coil, I said, is acting as a magnetic flywheel, and so that's going to have um, uh, a, a stronger magnetic field if, we have to, if we're forced to use a higher voltage to get the thing to run because we didn't put a noble gas inside the tubing and sphere. So this shows that you can create a circuit. Not only does it involve sizing it bigger or smaller to scale the power up or down, but to match that scale, physical scale, to change the power level of the circuit, we also have to change the mixture of gases inside the tubing and the sphere so that the breakdown voltage is right where we need it so that um, when the plasma comes on it'll come on at a, I guess, an energy state that is conducive to to match the scaling of the circuit the the size scaling the scaling of the size of the circuit so that completes this recording (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this little God, I'm having a a ball of a gas. This is unbelievable. Wow. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention why the refractive index of a low-level capacitance is significant because I found out from trial and error how I trained myself on various simulators over the last seven years. I found out by trial and error that when the capacitance is low... This explains why, I guess, the theoretical explanation as to why, when I would put a low-level capacitance, let's say a tenth of a picofarad, which you can't find that online anywhere, you know, buy off-the-shelf parts. You have to get ten one-picofarad capacitors and string them in series to get a tenth of a, of a picofarad. But when you do that and put it on either side of a ten-henry coil in series and bounce energy back and forth through that, you get an a acceleration of force, the likes of which you'll wish you hadn't turned on to see. 
at least in, under simulation, it works. And it doesn't matter whether the simulator uh, ignores the resistance of the coil or the equivalent series resistance of the capacitors or, in, or includes them. You still get that result, especially due to the resistances, oddly enough, because when you're dealing with a low-level capacitance whose dielectric um, material is acting like a prism, so it's the opposite of what happens in the real world, you know, when we pass light through an, optic, uh, through an optical prism. It slows down, right? And we get um, longer wavelengths of, of uh, slower frequency coming out the other end, right? But in the dielectric of a capacitor, you get the opposite. It accelerates the current. It speeds up the frequencies of the oscillations passing through it. The, the wavelength shortens. The frequency goes up. The opposite, because we're dealing with counterspace. Remember, Eric Dollar said everything in counterspace is the opposite. So the further the plates are apart from each other, the closer they are together. He said that. <laughs> and I found that out from simulation. And when I read that, I thought, wow, that's exactly what my experience... It, 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 it elucidates and it verifies, reaffirms, confirms what I've already been experiencing under simulation. It's like, wow, cool. And Eric said it years ago. And now I'm reading it for the first time after I've already experienced it under simulation using low-level capacitances in pairs. Can't just... This is not an LRC circuit. It, resonance has nothing to do with free energy. That's it, it, You can include that. It might help improve efficiency, but it has nothing to do with the, the amplification of uh, reactive power, or I should say imaginary power now from now on. <laughs> um, that component of apparent power, which is imaginary. Anyway, um, so that's why the refractive index is so interesting that it's directly related to the dielectric index because it's an aspect of capacitance that no one learns about. They're not taught this. Oh, no, no. We want capacitors of high capacitance, right? We want super caps, right? We want... Uh, capacitance of a thousand farads or a hundred farads or even just ten farads but who wants to go down to a tenth of a picofarad what for well you got to use them in pairs that's why because you're not storing energy anymore you're refracting it through the dielectric to the other side a, a little kind of a shortcut instead of having to go back around the other way through the circuit it can go straight through the dielectric as imaginary power it can do that pass right through an insulator and come out the other side with increased force if we make it nice and wide you know geometrically in, in the real world and thus make it very low capacitance so it, it you know from a practical so-called conventional point of view that's not practical because it can't store anything but we're not using it to store anything we're not using it to store anything and so those two plates, those two aluminum plates, are designed, intended to refract 
the longitudinal magnetodielectric force between them in the space between them. And we want to extend them out in opposite directions to maximize the space between them to get their, the capacitance between those two plates to be as low as possible so as to eliminate ionization or reduce it to almost nothing to a trivial amount but increase the refractive quality, make use of the refractive quality that's between them as we make them further and further apart. Now, I don't know what could happen if we make it very far apart because maybe they have to be inside the iron coil and so that might limit us um, in terms of spacing them out from each other. Uh, maybe it would, it's more practical to make a barrel-shaped iron coil but maybe it's more powerful to make a very tubular, long iron coil so as to put one plate at one end and the other end at the other end still inside the coil to increase the distance between them. Maybe the whole thing would be damn powerful. So, you know, there's all kinds of design considerations. Now that we, it becomes possible to understand the functionality of the different parts and how they interact. And I must say, it's... it's it just blows my mind. <laughs> it just blows my mind. 